I would like to issue an apology to all of our listeners. I really let everyone down. Is this going to be like in our last Star episode? Shit? I was contacted by not one but two separate people from two very diverse but equally loving communities of fans to inform me that I had disgraced their sacred texts. Firstly, I've been informed that while there is in fact 3D chess in Star Trek, the game that Data forces a Grandmaster to a stalemate is actually called Stratagema, and it looks nothing like 3D chess. And having reviewed the tape, they're quite right. Furthermore, Sabic is a card game that was played by Han Solo and Lando Calrissian, which is where Han Solo won the Millennium Falcon from Lando. The chess game that they play on the Millennium Falcon with the monsters is called, I believe it's Dejeric. I obviously cannot continue with this show, having made such grave errors, or continuing with life. Hi everyone, this I is the now... Big Bang Theory Theory. I'm Nick. That <laughs> I'm... was Kyle. This who, is the who show... will soon be wandering into the La Brea Tar Pits with the rest of the extinct creatures of the Earth, and let the sweet embrace of death take me forevermore. This, this is the show where we watch uh, The Big Bang Theory. We try to figure out why other people watch it, and we, we pretend to be offended by the way the nerds are portrayed, but we, we really were contacted by people about Star Trek shit, which uh, Kyle is also taking much more seriously than I expected. And uh, he, he acts as if he is in some sort of terrible pain for the embarrassment of having been wrong last time, and I'm in terrible pain for participating in this, knowing this, that this is an awful and dumb thing. I'm sick of this far-left radical call-out oh, culture. Oh, okay, okay, when it comes okay, to okay, 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 let's... Derek Jeter. <laughs> let's... Let's dial it back. Let's not go off the reservation here. I tell you what, I, I we got, support safe spaces here. I got kind of high podcast. last night, and I listened to some Jordan B. Peterson lectures. Oh no! I've got, oh. Some, I've got some new ideas. It is way too early. It is way too early in this in this podcast cycle. Our audience is not nearly self-selected enough at this point for us to be talking about Jordan Peterson yet. Well, I mean, kill us. just that we, we brought him up is enough to help spread the gospel, am I right? Am I right, my fellow incel? Uh, hey, hey, segue time. What was this episode about, Kyle? In this episode of The Big Bang Theory, Sheldon faces his greatest challenge yet, which is another person who is smarter than him, which has never happened, I think, on the show before. No, well, and it's not just that the other person is smarter than him. The, the, the big issue is that the person who's smarter than him is a is a 15-year-old North Korean boy who has outpaced Sheldon on several of his most proud accomplishments and the whole episode is just Sh- Sheldon everyone telling Sheldon how much exactly they don't like him and making him just yelling at him to go away that's a solid half of the episode and then we transition to the other nerds who aren't Sheldon being very sad that they don't know how to how to get laid, that they want to ruin the child's academic career, so they, they get a group of teenage girls to tempt the young man, and then it works, and then they're sad and jealous that that worked, and that's 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 it. That's what happens. It's this this episode, like I said, two two big aspects. Nobody likes Sheldon, not even a little bit. <laughs> no. Although he goes out of his way to be unlikable in this episode, which I have a theory about. No, I don't think he does, though. You, you, you tell me your theory 
Well, no, it's very, it's just, I, I'm just going by our, our consistent theory. So here's what's really interesting about this episode. Sheldon is confronted with a rival. And rather than tackle the rival directly, which is what you might expect, right? So there's one version of this episode that makes sense, which is Sheldon is worried because there's a kid who appears to be younger and smarter than him. So he immediately begins trying to prove that he is still the alpha male by coming up with some elaborate experiment or mathematical thesis that no one else in the world has ever proved by solving some puzzle only his great mind could solve and will leave everybody respecting him in top dog again. But that's not what happens. Instead, he gives up. Too easily? I don't know. You tell me. Because what he does instead is he proceeds to express his inadequacy by going and bothering all of the other people in his life because he is going through a quote-unquote crisis, and he bothers them so much that at one point in the episode, they literally contemplate murdering a 15-year-old just to get Sheldon to leave them alone. So it was at the point when Wallowitz and Raj and Leonard were all looking at each other, and they were like, I don't know, maybe we should just kill this kid for Sheldon. And I thought, ah, Sheldon, once again, you have proven your brilliance. I agreed with none of that until the very last thing you said, that it is again another shielded master manipulation. But that I, I think so you're saying that the reason that he went on to try to do this other grand experiment was because he still had to prove he was the top dog after this, this wunderkind came in and fucked up his day. No, it wasn't. I mean, it's not proving is not even the right word. He just need the kid was an obstacle. He needed to be removed. He knew that the easiest way to remove him was not direct confrontation, but rather to, but rather indirect manipulation. So I think the, the difference we're having here may be in my, my own ability to be manipulated because when, you, when you're talking about how he has to go and do the next incredible thing and you did say to show he's still the alpha dog, but as, as soon as he finds out that this kid has actually surpassed him with the, his his youthly academic achievements, because they don't talk about, like, Sheldon had some incredibly prestigious award at 15, and this kid got it at 14 and a half. And so Sheldon is like, well, I'm no longer the smartest person around. Therefore, I am worthless, and I should just resign myself to die so that at least my body can be used in scientific experiments that might be of use to humanity. It's a brilliant ruse. Well, Is because it, he can't, I mean, I do take it at face value. I'm not saying he was pretending to be dumber than the other, than the kid. You, you say that he's going out of his way to be annoying. And again, if you, if you believe it's all a bit of a giant grand plan, I think that's reasonable. But if you, if you look at it head on, he, he's not trying to annoy them. He's just, he, he, he needs the validation so badly that he's like going in and he's like, I, I can get in there. I can, hey, let's work on this together because this is the only way I know how to interact with people. And, and when people have to deal with Sheldon at that level, they, it doesn't make sense. They always talk about how insufferable he is. But this is where it crosses the line where they have to be like, fuck off, Sheldon. And we, we can disagree on how it builds up. Well, we can disagree, but I'm right. This is. This is another situation where you're shelling me now. I understand that. Is that what the show is? Is this where I I thought that I had... So we, we talked about what we might want to do for a podcast for a while before we actually started it. And we were going to try to do something much more um, planned out and thoughtful and academic. Uh, and then the problem is that, that I'm a dumb shit 
and I'm not going to be able to keep up with, with Kyle, which is probably evident from most of the episodes. But I don't think that's evident from the episodes at all. But but this little sweet baby that I that I thought that I had the idea for that we went ahead with, this is also part of whatever scheme you're cooking up against me, isn't it? I don't... That would be an incredibly inefficient use of resources. Oh, about as inefficient as some nerd going around and making sure that he has a, a convoluted scheme to get all of his friends to, to feel bad around him so they have to essentially hire a group of fi- uh, unwitting 15-year-olds. They're, they're being sex-traded, all those 15-year-olds. Well, it is interesting, isn't it, how none of that can be traced back to Sheldon Cooper? The university just lost its prized pupil, who they had invested millions of dollars in, probably, you know, in grant money and attractions and things like that. And he goes, poof, and all of that falls apart, and they might start investigating exactly where did this all go wrong. But the one person they could never pin it on? Sheldon Cooper, because Sheldon got out of the way gracefully, a tad zanily. But Dr. Sheldon Cooper was too busy having a nervous breakdown to ever plot against this crazy child. But one thing that I think we do need to touch on real quick is we've been playing a fun game where we look at the the, the title of the episode after we've actually watched it to figure out how the shitty punny scientifically Oh, god damn it. Is that the name? Of, is the name of the episode the Jerusalem duality? That's, that's the reaction I thought we were going to get there. Yeah, that's the good stuff. Oh. And that that is because uh, Sheldon... That joke was terrible and it wouldn't die. Yeah, no, it's bad. It just it doesn't go anywhere, which is when, when Sheldon is trying to figure out which of the other world's ills to solve, he decides he's going to sort out the Israel-Palestine conflict. Yeah. By, by building an identical Jerusalem in, in, in Mexico that the, the, the Israelis could all move to to, to live in because it's just as good. Uh, that's it. And yeah, it's a bad joke. That, I mean, that's the thing about this episode is like, I think some of these have got, I think, pretty dark. This one is, is more of a, just a, a, a sad desperation that that permeates every character involved. Yes, I will say there was one sequence that was definitely almost a little too like. Well, just just get into it. So what happens is this is what Nick has been alluding to. At the end of the episode, they decide that they've got to get rid of this kid, but they rule out murdering him, which is I suppose nice of them. So they decide that they need to distract him in some way, and they come up with what I admit is probably a pretty good plan, which is they just need. To get him a girlfriend, because once he has a girlfriend, he's not going to care about being the smartest person in the room anymore. So they hack. Because, because when you include a woman in your life, you're actually devaluing yourself to the point that you're falling out of the culture of competence. He's right about everything, Kyle. Uh, I really don't. I'm not a... You didn't tell me we were going to be having this conversation? I didn't know we were going to be having it, all right? He, Dr. Peterson has opened my eyes to a whole new world. That, I know you're faking, but even faking, you're making me so mad right now. The best now. part about it is that by relying on these these ancient and repeated myths and legends that we've shaped our modern society around, that it all seems so familiar, and that's because when you're really learning, it feels more like remembering. You know what this is like? This is... No! For... Ugh, fuck you! I know you're quoting a New York Times article on Jordan Peterson right now, and you're just doing it to have... Press my goddamn buttons! 
Fuck, you know what this is like? This is like that episode of The West Wing where there's the self-help book that that Donna is reading and Josh goes through and shows how every one of the little bromides in the in the book is just bad paraphrasing of actual philosophers who have put the time to work. That's Jordan Peterson's whole thing. I mean, he admits it a little, but that whole fucking memory is like learning thing. That's just Plato. That's just straight up. That's the Mino in the dialogue with Mino. Socrates points out that there's a fundamental uh, connection between recollection and knowledge and any... Job with a fucking library card could go and read all of that stuff and make their lives so much better without having to rely on the goddamn hack from Canada. I, I stopped paying attention after you mentioned the West Wing. I don't watch it. Too much talking. So, sorry. <laughs> Fuck! Oh, that guy is such a repressive prick and he's gonna ruin our. It's gonna ruin everything. I think we're fine. Here's what's happened, boys. No, oh, no, now we're. Girls. Here's. Here's all it is. Get ten it's seconds not on that big a deal. It's kind of funny. That it's ironic. We're just getting paid. Men are being paid back in kind. Here's what's happening. For about 30 fucking years, ever since, you know, we all started moving into cities and having a broader choice of sexual selection with each other, men, because they had the largest power dynamics, started imposing a higher level of preference on their partners. Basically, Higher social standards that women had to conform to, aesthetic standards, unrealistic standards, standards of beauty, standards of behavior, the entire fucking Cosmo idea, the idea that you had to have perfect hair and perfect makeup. They created this whole arms race of unrealistic expectations that women have struggled against and complained about for literally at least an entire generation now, since before either you or I was born. Women have been saying, you know, it's killing us. You expecting us to always be thin and always be happy and always be attractive. And now all that's happened is women have started getting some of the power in society. And so what are they doing? They're imposing some of their high expectations on the dating pool in the opposite direction. And now all of a sudden men are like, wait, you can't seriously expect me to have a stable employment and make more money than you and have a high status career and be emotionally invested and be this whole other checklist of things when before I could just be a schlub and get Get a girlfriend? This isn't fair. Why is feminism doing to this to us? But it's not. It's just fucking modernity. It's the balance of power. It's fucking advertising culture, reducing everything to a series of algorithmic checkboxes. It's not any one person's fault, but we all fucking did this to each other and men definitely led the way. And I don't blame women for not having a lot of sympathy for how men suddenly don't want to update their fucking okay cupid profiles four times a day so that they have the perfect photos but you know what they should go fuck themselves because this is what we brought us to you cuck (laughs) this is all gonna have to get edited out of the episode this is not this is not funny at all i think this is just who we are now this is this is i think what the episode unleashed in us because i mean surely my my dark influence in here is my own. I can't I can't hold Chuck Lorre and everyone else accountable for for my late night adventures trying to understand this big ridiculous movement. But yeah, it's it, it is true though in the in the episode that they do see the way of destroying this 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 young man who, by the way, is he's just a plot device. He has, he has no character traits other than being smarter and knowing he's smarter. That's it. He's he's Sheldon, but a person. Um, but somehow less defined. 
Oh, I'm, I'm turning. I'm, I'm going to leave that. Well, on. I think that's probably why they gave him the whole refugee from North Korea backstory because they were like, if this is just a white kid, there's literally nothing on paper that made like there's no story here. Well, yeah, but like even though they give him that backstory, it has no bearing on the episode other than the they get like four jokes. They out get of it. one throwaway joke about how he can't send him back to North Korea because he obviously knows how to escape. Well, that and he's using part of the money he's raising through research to get his grandfather out of Pyongyang. Oh, yeah, I guess Which I guess that. that's not happening now. Sorry, Grandpa. Well, yeah, but he's, he's getting, he's, he's getting that trim. That's what is out there. He's out there competing in the sexual marketplace. And it is a marketplace. But, but, so, yeah, these, these three guys, lonely, and uh, fucking Leonard gets called out so hard. Let, miserable and alone and, and they don't know what their their problem is and they can't look at themselves and realize that maybe they they can make some improvements to their own lives that would make them more suitable partners or just like more socially acceptable to, in general. Yeah, we get a sense of what's wrong with them in this episode. So what they do in order to generate a, a dating pool is they literally basically convince everybody that's bring your daughter to work day and mm-hmm. they, they basically stack a whole room full of where this kid is going to be with yeah. fifteen, with fourteen to sixteen year olds, by is- researching coworkers' insurance information and finding out which of them had daughters between the ages of fourteen and sixteen, yes, and this- inviting only them and their daughters. Yes, this was another thing that that backed up my whole "this is a master Sheldon manipulation" because that's obviously a huge breach of like there's like seventeen different like regulations against doing that shit. I mean, there's health. You're not supposed to be able to look at other people's health records. What is that OSHA? Like, they actually basically... It's at least it's HIPAA, I believe. HIPAA, yeah. So they literally broke federal regulations in order to do this. That's how desperate they were to get Sheldon to stop torturing them. By being around. <laughs> yes. So anyway, so now it's this room full of 14 years, 16 to 16 year olds, and just trying to, and trying to figure out how to get this nerd to interact with them immediately brings up all of their repressed childhood trauma of all the times oh, yeah. they have had really negative interactions and with girls. And it is, it is a little too real, frankly. It is about maybe two minutes of the entire episode. And it's the only part of this show that has mattered so far. <laughs> it is the only thing that tells you anything. About why these people are the way they yeah, are. Yeah, I think I think Wallowitz basically gives you his origin story because yeah. because they look at one girl who's kind of hot and he's like, oh no, she's a cheerleader type. She'll lure you, you know, you'll make overtures to her for years and she'll never give you the time of day. And then one day she'll pretend she's in, she's attracted to you so that she can lure you out on a date that's actually a prank that ends up with you having your pants down in the back of the car while mm. all the entire football team laughs at you. Yeah. And the second he said that, I was like, and that's what that's what happened to you. That, I mean, that's what of, makes a wallow. Of, of course, it's not even like hiding in the episode. He's not like he's being very clear that this is what happened to him. He starts crying. But as a larger meta point, you're like, oh, yeah, that is how someone goes from mm-hmm. being a sad but presumably normally adjusted nerd into Wallowitz. Uh, Wallowitz Arraj points at another possible young lady candidate. And Leonard, his fucking trauma comes out and he's like, no, 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 because all you're going to end up doing is spending all your time doing her homework and then she's going to end up getting into Cornell based on an essay that you wrote for her. And then you're going to go visit her one weekend and she's going to pretend not to know you. It's gross. 
I don't think we ever got Raj. Raj is still well. No, Raj has it's Raj has a racist joke. Is I don't mean his joke. Well, I guess oh, because yeah, he he gets into the arranged marriage and I mean he he has a but great he doesn't comeback. Have a, he doesn't have background trauma. His comeback is very important. Yes, his that comeback is, the, is that is there's that way too much self awareness. The whole series is but, <laughs> because what Raj says is you know if we were in my country you could just basically you could you know you could bargain with the woman's father for her affection and pay a dowry and everything or I guess the pay a bride price and everything yeah. would be taken care of. And Laird's like, well, we're not in your country, and that's stupid. And oh, Raj and just hits back without even missing a beat. He's like, he's like, I'm sorry, I guess we should do it like they do it here. Like, like you would do it here, which is we should invite one of these girls to live across the hallway from him for months so that he can moon after her without ever actually letting her know that he's attracted to her and would like to go on a date with her. Would that work better for you, Leonard? Yeah, that's that's where it should have just faded to black, and this would have been a mini series, and you'd feel bad about what you just watched, and you'd, you'd be like, "Oh, I really need to be more compassionate. I don't, I don't think about what's going on in other people's lives. It's a mess." I will say that I definitely asked a girl to prom on the basis of I'd been helping her with her homework, and it was really awkward. It didn't turn me into like a crazy. Like, well, maybe I am a crazy, terrible person. Just don't know. I don't, I'm not, a, I don't hate, I don't consciously hate women. But, uh. <laughs> I'm glad that you have to emphasize that you don't hate them consciously. Well, I don't know. If I hated them subconsciously, it might manifest in my behavior in ways I'm not aware of. But I don't spend time on, like, internet forums talking about how women are, like, terrible manipulators. I, I don't have to uh, share any of my stories about, uh, being embarrassed and, and asking ladies out because I'm so insecure that I just don't do it. Instead, I wait for them to, to come on to me because my neuroses are often uh, pretty disarming. And also, I've just got a super sweet dick. And it just all works out. It's pretty cool. Yes. No way will that ever leading, you know, lead you to unhappiness as you're only targeted by extremely aggressive women who are incapable of, like, you're incapable of reciprocating their emotions in a way that balances out your relationships and leads to long-term happiness really having a Leonard moment right now. And that's why you don't fucking bring up Jordan Peterson. Ah! I've been manipulated! <laughs> I knew it was happening, you son of a bitch! Ugh, the, the game of cat and mouse continues. I don't know where we go from there. I'm so... I'm so drained. Not not emotionally or physically, but spiritually. I, I, feel, I feel like we, we've always turned on the show and we take our jabs at each other, but now it's really... Now the pain is coming out. Uh, did it? Did anything funny happen this episode? Did one fucking funny thing happen? Because um, I can tell you for a fact, neither of us laughed. But we could have had those no. quiet inside laughs—the ones that we're ashamed to share with each other. Hmm. Trying to think if the, if I can remember. I'm trying to think if I can remember like an attempt at a joke, like a real joke in this episode, like some place where, like, where did the laugh track play in this episode? It would it would play where it always does, where they make. A pop culture reference, like, or, or something that's out of the blue. I think the first line in this episode is Sheldon saying to, to Leonard, well, here's the problem with time travel. Laugh track immediately. Not a joke premise. Not a funny thing. It's just Sheldon talked. And he's talking about Sheldon stuff. And then, yeah, laugh track. But really, I, yeah, there's... Although, I will say that's philosophically important, the beginning of that episode. It's sort of ties in thematically to everything that's going on here. That's we sound like such fucking jags. We're 
So I realized as we were talking, the opening of the episode is actually about the fa- like the right. famous quantum suicide or telep- quantum teleportation problem, which is, of course, that if you step into a teleporter that breaks down your information and reassembles it somewhere else perfectly, there's some serious philosophical and scientific doubt as to whether that's the same person. I mean, arguably, it's the same person. It's definitely not the same atoms. It's the same, you know, electron configuration or whatever, but... Philosophically, I suppose there's some pretty good arguments that they are still you, uh, which is why it's interesting that Sheldon specifically says that he would never take that ride. He would never agree to be teleported by someone somewhere if the mechanism behind it was breaking him down and reassembling him somewhere else because he doesn't believe in the continuity of consciousness from what point A to point B in that situation, which is interesting because that is actually irrational. I mean, I know. I, I think you're right. Cause I know I, plenty of people would feel that way, but I would have expected Sheldon Cooper to feel the opposite way, but he doesn't. Yeah, no, I hadn't put too much thought into it initially, but when, once he started talking about it just now, yeah, it, it is kind of ridiculous because he he acknowledges, as you just said, that you know you, you would essentially being replaced, identical but re- replaced, but he he's uncomfortable with it. Um, not be- just because I think of the, the concern about not believing that, that I'm sorry, the, I don't remember the exact phrase you just used about consciousness. The, the continuity connect- of consci- continuity of consciousness. But that, um, he, I think he was, he, he was willing to hold value just in the, the uniqueness that his current body, uh, encompasses. That, like, even if there is an identical copy of him, regardless, I think, of the consciousness element, just that he's the only Sheldon there is. A Sheldon that were alike him in any way would not be that Sheldon. But but yeah, it's you, you can you can break him down, you can build him up exactly the same. And for all intents and purposes, it is the same. Same. But Sheldon's like, I just I have to in this one aspect of me in my entire life. This is the one time where I'm going to be able to recognize some fundamental and basic metaphysical concern. Yes. Well, I think it's a sign of, of sociopathy on his part. But ooh, that, ooh, really? Well, yeah, because, I mean, it's like like you just said, he thinks he thinks his body is somehow special. Like, like, like literally, it's not oh, even... Oh, I don't even know if it's that. I think it goes beyond that, that he's getting into... Like, he believes he has a essence. soul? Yeah, he believes he has a soul. I bet he doesn't believe anyone else has a soul. I don't believe anyone else believes he has a soul. <laughs> yeah, but that's... So what is the rest of this episode about? The rest of this episode is about his fear of being replaced. Ah! Ah! This is the smartest show we've ever seen! God, I feel like a dumb asshole now! You just... You know, we worked through it together, we got to the end of the puzzle. God damn it, Kyle! You've done it again! What a good show! The fucking... It, it's what is it like? Uh, uh, I always forget uh, hologram and holograph, but how like any fraction of the image is itself a copy of the image. That's what this fucking episode is. Ah, oh, ah! Oh, I am reinvigorated and I am ready to live again with this show. Ah, oh, I don't know. I mean, you can you can go more into that. I just uh, I feel like you made a, a very good connection just there, sir. I guess the last thing I'll say is I had a really dark meta moment. In this episode, because there's basically this, uh, there's that scene where it's just they arrive in this room and it's full of all these 15 year old girls who are standing around being essentially groomed in a certain sense to be uh. sexual partners for that fucking Korean kid. And, um, you know, that's just part of the weird plot of the episode. But I did have a dark, 
moment where I was like, actually, these are probably all aspiring young ask, uh, actresses who were either showed up under their own volition or were dragged by their parents Almost to a casting call. the latter. To, yeah, to a <laughs> casting call for the show. Like, please, bright, pretty, you know, looking this age, girls, please show up for this casting call. And I just don't even want to think about, like, the entire selection process that they had to go through and probably how demeaning it was just oh. so that they could stand in the background of that scene. That really is unfortunate. Yeah. And, and to think of the, the ones that we saw in the, the show, those are the successes. Yes. What happened to the lives of those who... And then yeah. the, all the fucking work that has to go into it. And then also you can stand there. You, you, you I mean, a lot of these kids were probably just like, you know, physically attractive kids. And that's why it's like, well, great. You have what it, you have step a to be successful as an actor or in like most other parts of life honestly but then there are those who in addition to like looking the part like are serious actors that they're talented and they had to go through all their classes like their parents may have sent them to some weird theater school instead or of, like, like camp every summer for like acting kids exactly. and everything else or maybe they're just some sort of weird acting savant who against all odds just possesses this talent that is looking for some sort of way to shine through some avenue to share the brilliance of this artistic young mind with the world so you can have some fucking cynical producer in a room go eh, chin's a little too wide get her out of here yes <laughs> oh that's and still, and even if you won, what do you win? You get the chance to be a metaphor for these grown men's sexual frustration. Ah, yeah. Ah, all right. The show's bad again. It's smart, but it's not. And it's bad. It's evil. It's, it is. It really is. It's, uh, it's, it's, in, it's insidious. I don't care for it. Oh, and this is a fun thing. So, should I actually probably start sharing information about the podcast? Cast. If you're listening to it, you obviously know how to find it. But uh, we we are on iTunes, and we got an iTunes review from from some some random person. Oh uh, yes, thank you, reviewer. Even though you didn't give us a positive review, I think they did. Okay, they didn't mean to, but they did because so we we got a we got a review on the podcast, and it was something along the lines of they they talk about the show, but I don't understand why they put so much energy into tearing it apart. They obviously enjoy hating on it. Why watch it at all? But, you know, they said that we obviously enjoy ourselves. And I think that our investment and what we bring to the table is what this podcast is about. We're not here miserable just trying to recite things that happened. She was like, I love this show and I hate these fuckers, but God damn it, they do sound like they're having an okay time with it. Do you think that's what we sounded like tonight, like we were having an okay time? No, not at all. I think, <laughs> I think unfortunately, what happened tonight is much more closer to the standard and that this is one of those things that it's... This is really another one where our, 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 our friends and other six strangers are listening and they're thinking, I'll give them one more like they did for the last episode and the one before that and the one before that. But that's that's the kind of support I'm absolutely willing to accept. Yes, thank you. Like and subscribe us on iTunes and please leave a review. Yeah, and there's probably other ways to find us that I don't fucking care about explaining right now. Post us, post links to our episodes on Tumblr or Blogger or, I don't know, Twitter. Yeah, and Follow our Twitter account someone, as soon as I remember what it's called. Someone make a Patreon for us because I don't want to. Now, we do have to do the standard 
what we went through a lot of unfortunate nonsense. What is the one thing that you are going to take away from this episode as we go forward? I can start if you need some, because mine is, it's, it was only, it was touched upon. We, we, we already went deep into it, but just that it, it took this long for, for all the nerds to collectively come together and, and share these horrible life experiences they had of, of yearning for love and being rejected. And how they are aware of it because they're sharing it with each other and they are yet to overcome it. And I think that is such a, a frustratingly human thing to be aware of your own circumstances and problems and limitations and to just be helpless to do anything about it. They're, they are trying to get this, 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 this 15 year old a girlfriend. They realize that they have no idea what they're doing. And they see him succeed anyway. Even when they do something right, even when they win, they don't even know how they did it. It's a fluke. Their lives are awful. I think I can finally start sympathizing them with, a, with them a bit. When I saw Wallowitz's room on the last episode, I was like, okay, he's different than he obviously is always presenting as. And then you hear about this horrible thing that happened to him, and it's like, well, it doesn't... It doesn't justify who you are, but it explains it anyway. And so I, I'm, I'm very happy to have some of the the layers pulled away, so I can start to have some genuine relations to relationships to these characters. That's mine. I I take away the end. So literally the last line of this episode. I mean, this was just for me. This you're right. This was a sad, desperate episode. I guess what I'll take away is the final scene of this is they're walking through the park and they see this kid and he's making he's playing the guitar and he's making out with this girl that he met at the at that event and he doesn't he's not wearing he's, his hair isn't perfectly combed so we can assume his life is falling apart and he's probably doing meth now yeah um, and they look at him like oh boy we really destroyed his life but of course there's a well actually they say that ironically right because there's a mix of Oh, look, he's not ever going to be the academic success that we are. But also he's, you know, seems like he's happy and well-adjusted and they're all envious of him, except for Sheldon. And all Sheldon says is, forget him. He was weak. And that's that's going to haunt me. I, I like that a lot. So I think that is what really ties together for me, that, it, that, that everything was another one of Sheldon's big manipulations. And... And his ruthlessness and cunning, and in spite of what I believe is now some sort of affirmation that he recognizes something beyond the physical inside of himself that is irreplaceable, that he nonetheless sees others as obstacles to be disposed of. Also, about the kid maybe being on meth now that he's hanging out with his pals in the park, I think it's much more likely that he would be on meth if he went the academic path, because that fucking pressure to succeed... No, you don't do meth in the academic circles. You do those memory-enhancing drugs. Well, no, you do those if you're, you know, some sort of B-level academic. But if you want to stay up for days on end cramming and writing, that's you got to get the hard stuff. Oh, is that... It's, it's being able to control that, to, to, to have something that is incredibly addictive and damaging and nonetheless be able to use it for good. Uh, that's why my senior Iliad essay on the Iliad wasn't good enough. Well, not enough meth? Enough, not enough meth. Kind of makes sense. Yeah, I don't... You know, I... Someday I'm going to try math. No. No, you're not. I, I know you're joking, but don't. I don't know that I'm joking. But, you know, it's... I think... So in Montana, where I'm from, 
uh, meth is an epidemic. And so we'd have all of yes. these big signs all over the place and this giant meth not even, even once camping. Yes. But Listen. But that puts so much pressure on you to never, like, what, then you do meth once and all of a sudden you're a failure? Like, why not, like, meth only on Saturday? Because, do I have to explain to you how, like, a class A addictive substance works? But if you're only doing it on Saturdays, how are you getting addicted? Okay, okay fine. Here's, here's my last word. Let this be the final word of the episode. If you must. Except it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be compatible with the Sabbath. If you must do something incredibly destructive and dangerous and pointless with your life that will only lead to despair and nihilism, then by all means, smoke meth. Just whatever you do, stop reading about Jordan Peterson.